Well, the subject of the message this morning is the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. If you'll open up your Bibles and go to the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Chapter 11 is entirely devoted to events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus' close friend Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. The chapter begins with Lazarus' illness, and death, and then we have Jesus's intentional travel delay, then the resurrection itself, and then after the resurrection, when the Jewish leaders decide it would be in the best interest of the nation if they killed Jesus. It's interesting to contemplate what was actually required in bringing Lazarus back from the dead. The human body is made up of more than 30 trillion cells. 30 trillion. In the minutes following death, all the cells begin to die. Consider just the brain cells. By some mysterious mechanism, the brain, which is made up of biological tissue, water, and some electrical signals, stores all of our long-term and short-term memories. The moment Lazarus died, all of his memory cells began to die. Four days later, his brain and body would have been in such a mess that we don't even want to consider it here this morning. But remember what his sister warned when they were getting ready to open the tomb. She said, it's going to smell. And yet Jesus brought all of his cells back to life and in the proper arrangement so that Lazarus had all of his memories. It's inconceivable how Jesus does it. And so when I read about this miracle, I ask myself if Jesus can do something as amazing as that, then why doesn't he answer some of my prayer requests? Which seem to me anyways much less complex than bringing 30 trillion cells back to life. After all, doesn't Jesus say in Luke chapter 9 verse 11, and I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Jesus continues, For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Why doesn't Jesus answer our prayers when they seem biblical and reasonable? Why does the Bible give numerous examples of Christ's power to perform miracles 
It instructs us to ask and it will be given to you, but then seems to come up short on actual delivery in some cases. The verses under our consideration this morning, verses 5 and 6 of chapter 11, may be the key to answering that question. It won't be the key to answering why every prayer that's not answered, why every prayer is not answered. There are other reasons some prayers don't get the attention we feel that they deserve, which we won't have time to talk about this morning. But we need to understand what verses 5 and 6 tell us about the way God sometimes answers our prayer requests. We'll be approaching our topic in three steps. First, we'll look at the context of the verses. Second, we'll look at the verses themselves. And finally, we'll look at application. But first, let's pray. Father, we run the risk of feeling like we already know all that is being offered by this passage because it's a story we are well familiar with. Lord, may your Holy Spirit breathe new life into these verses this morning. And may we not limit what's in your word with our preconceived ideas. Amen. As we approach a chapter 11, we are moving very close to the end of Jesus' three-year ministry. That's not to say the ministry is winding down, because in fact it's ramping up. Just like any good movie or book, as you get closer to the end, the pace picks up. The true nature of the bad guys is fully on display. Confrontations with the hero of the story, Jesus, are increasing, and Jesus' miracles are becoming even more astonishing. In chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who was born blind. The man, who is now able to see, makes the following statement to help us understand the magnitude of the miracle. He says this, about himself. He says, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. That's in chapter 9. Then in chapter 10, the chapter right before our chapter, Jesus has a confrontation in Jerusalem with the Jewish leaders that becomes so heated that the Jewish leaders pick up stones and are going to stone Jesus. When Jesus asks them why they're getting ready to stone him, they reply with, because you being a man, make yourself God. Now that's a verse you might want to use for your friends who say Jesus never claims to be God in the Bible. But since it wasn't time for the final confrontation, the one that ends on the cross, Jesus and his disciples escape from Jerusalem and go across the Jordan River to the place where John, John the Baptist, had been baptizing at first, which puts him about 20 miles away from Jerusalem and sets the stage perfectly for chapter 11, which starting at verse 1 in chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair 
whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. We see in these verses that a friend of Jesus's has become ill. A close friend and no doubt very ill. Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary, live in Bethany, which is a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, which puts them about a day's journey away from where Jesus and his disciples are currently located. Simple reason would dictate that as Lazarus' health condition worsened, the sisters' curative measures would have progressed from trying home remedies then to contract, contacting the local doctor, and finally to send Jesus a message that the medical situation had, res, had reached a dangerously precarious level. No doubt the possibility of Lazarus dying would now be entering the sisters' minds. Whether Lazarus's health condition dropped through these stages slowly or it rapidly nosedived to the fatal outcome, the Bible doesn't say. But because the overheated political environment in the Jerusalem area was increasingly unsafe for Jesus, the sisters would be exercising reasonable caution before requesting Jesus to return to the area. But apparently Lazarus's condition had reached that point. So the sisters send a prayer request to Jesus. We know that Mary and Martha had very different personalities. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, showed they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. Mary quietly sat at the feet of Jesus listening to his teaching. Martha was busy with serving and annoyed with Mary's lack of attention to hospitality. But as is common with our own experience, when life gets grim, when a loved one is seriously ill, minor disagreements, like who's shouldering more of the workload, become peripheral at best. The family focus had become their brother's health. Mary and Martha would complement each other quite well as a healthcare team. Mary, who's a type A task-driven person with the gift of service, I'm sorry, Martha, type A, and Mary, who is calm, introspective, and no doubt compassionate, with a gift of mercy perhaps, they would make for an excellent team. When you're in a serious medical situation, if at all possible, have both a Mary and a Martha at your side. The Mary personality is needed to graciously thank the medical staff for all their dedicated care and to encourage the patient. The Martha personality is needed to monitor the medical staff's activity and frequently inquire, why are you considering that procedure? But moving on to verse 4, we see that when the messengers reach Jesus with the prayer request after a full day's travel, Jesus has a very interesting reply. 
verse 4 says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. If you lay out the timeline of the events leading up to Lazarus' resurrection, it's likely, although we shouldn't be dogmatic about this timeline, but that Lazarus died while the messengers were traveling to Jesus' location. The messengers, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't specify whether it was one or more messengers, would have been traveling with urgency to get the healing request to Jesus. But they, when they get there, no doubt, they were relieved to hear Jesus' assurance that Lazarus would not die. So it wouldn't surprise the messengers that Jesus was not going to accompany them on a trip back to Bethany. Proverbs 25.25 says, Like cold water to a thirsty soul is good news from a far country. And the messengers would have good news for the sisters. Lazarus is going to be okay. Or so they think as they travel home. Now imagine this, this scene for the messengers returning to Mary and Martha's home on day two. As they get closer to their destination, they would strangely begin to encounter people on their way to mourn with the sisters over their dead brother Lazarus. What seemed like good news from Jesus now doesn't make any sense. For the whole trip back, the messengers would have been mentally prepared to deliver good news. They would maybe even be expecting to see Lazarus up and around, walking. But something went wrong and soon they would encounter the sisters who would ask, no doubt, something like this. So what did Jesus say? Why didn't he return with you? And if I were one of the messengers, I would probably be responding with something like this. <laughs> well, you know, Jesus showed some serious concern. I could tell he really cares about your family. Okay. What did he say, though? Why didn't he come back with you? Well, he said Lazarus' illness would not lead to death, but it was for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I think that exchange would certainly leave the sisters something to think about considering Lazarus was already dead. And we'll cover that in a couple of minutes. But let's go back to verses 5 and 6, right after Jesus was given the news about Lazarus, starting with verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer to the place where he was. Now I want you to notice the first word of verse 5, which is now. And the first word of verse 6, so. Jesus' action in verse 6, his delay is dependent on his motive in verse 5, his love for them. 
He delayed because he loved them. This is the key of what I was talking about earlier. This now and this so in verses 5 and 6 connects the dots between Jesus' promise for us to ask and it will be given to us, but then when we test the promise, it seems to come up short. Or worse yet, our situation further degrades and starts to resemble a father returning a serpent when his son has asked for a fish. Let me give a hypothetical example of what this might look like. Jesus' response to Mary and Martha. Let's say a job promotion is available to a Christian man I'll call John Smith. His family needs the additional income. He's the most qualified employee for the promotion. He's a consistently diligent worker. And today's the big day when the promotion announcement will be made. God is good. He will surely answer John Smith's prayers. His boss comes in to the office and sits down. The look on his face indicates to John that he has something important to tell him. He begins by saying what a good employee Smith has been and how he really appreciates all of Smith's accomplishments for the company. But then he informs Smith that he's being laid off because another employee who got the promotion will be absorbing all of John Smith's job responsibilities. He wishes John good luck and asks him to be cleared out of his office by 4 p.m. What would be a possible explanation for what just happened? Putting it through the filters of verses 5 and 6, it would go like this. Now Jesus loved John Smith, so when he heard a promotion was available for John, he had John laid off instead. Or consider this example of a real answered prayer from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's the prayer. Lord, please remove this thorn in my flesh. You may recognize this was the Apostle Paul's request. Paul is asking, he's seeking, he's knocking, he's making the request three times, applying the principle found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, the parable of the persistent widow, with the purpose to teach us that we ought to always pray and not lose heart. And here's how God answered Paul's prayer request. Now keep in mind, these are my words. I'm looking through the filter of verses 5 and 6 in chapter 11. Now Jesus loved the Apostle Paul, so when he heard Paul's request for the removal of the thorn in his flesh, Jesus replied with, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. In other words... The thorn was not removed. God answered Paul's prayer request with something better than removing the thorn. The purpose of the thorn was to keep Paul from becoming conceited due to all the amazing revelations God had shown him. But it's important that we don't overlook all that was happening to Mary and Martha and Lazarus when they experienced 
Lazarus sickness and death because just because we know the end of the story and because it's a familiar story it's easy to overlook what they might have experienced when Lazarus died first they would have watched him die they no doubt witnessed him suffering in pain and then taking his final breath what would be going through their minds what would be going through Lazarus's mind was God going to actually allow him to die was this the end how much pain was he in we shouldn't mentally skip to the resurrection part and not consider what was suffered by the three of them but be sure of this they actually felt every minute of it and now we turn to a crucial question what was gained by Jesus not just performing a healing miracle before Lazarus ever died why did Jesus allow Lazarus to die and be buried for four days well first and most obvious it provided Jesus an opportunity to prove who he was by what he was capable of performing the resurrection but the situation also forced Mary and Martha to ask themselves the hard spiritual questions to grow in their faith I want to jump ahead to verse 21 I'm going to skip part of the middle part here Jesus has arrived in Bethany Martha says to Jesus Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died but even now I know that whatever you ask from God God will give you many commentators perhaps even the majority of commentators categorize Martha's statement as a mild rebuke pointing back to the fact that Jesus intentionally delayed traveling to Bethany by a couple of days I have to disagree it doesn't have to be viewed as a rebuke and for these reasons first the sequence of events Lazarus likely died while the messengers were traveling to Jesus before they ever got to Jesus and Martha would have known this it hardly seems reasonable that she would blame Jesus for not being there but I also want to consider the mental state of Martha and Mary after Lazarus died the messengers came back with the assurance that Lazarus wouldn't die from the illness but he had died the immediate shock of his death then placing him in the tomb on that same day which would have been customary in those days would be occupying all their thoughts but then on days two three and four they would begin to think about just what did Jesus mean that he wouldn't die what did he mean when he said that the Son of God may be glorified through it was Jesus merely mistaken or did he mean something else and the sisters probably had conversations between them as they worked through these questions I think they would likely go back to the basics what do we know about Jesus and I don't mean that in the sense of Jesus is a stranger around here what do we really know about him but more in the sense of they were good friends with Jesus okay what 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 do we what, what are we really sure of what's going on here 
how has the Son of God been glorified? They might start with the fact that they knew that Jesus loved Lazarus and the sisters. He was a close friend. They knew he had performed amazing miracles in Israel over the last three years, including, including raising the dead, healing leprosy, exercising demons. Basically, Martha and Mary could reasonably conclude that if Jesus had been present, then he would have healed him. And that's all I think Martha is saying to Jesus. Because as far as I can tell, there's no place in the New Testament where somebody actually dies in the presence of Jesus. Even the robbers next to him on the crosses. Jesus died first. And we do the same thing when life is all of a sudden out of control. We ask ourselves, why is this happening? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? We go back to the basics. God is in control. I'm born again, a child of God. God loves me. And he proved it by dying on a cross for me. I can trust the Bible. These are the things we are certain of. So we reaffirm the foundational truths. But if a person never gets pushed to the edge, if his life is always controlled, predictable, pain-free, then he's never forced to grapple with the hard questions. But another reason why I don't think Martha's comment was a rebuke, even a mild rebuke to Jesus, is this. When you compare Martha's comment when she sees Jesus in verse 21, and you, should, you need to lay eyes on this, you need to open your Bibles and look at this, John 11, verse 21. Her words are exactly the same words as Mary's words when she sees Jesus. It's, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They use the exact same words, and this bothers me. These two sisters have very different personalities, as we noted earlier. In the three instances where the sister Mary encounters Jesus in the Gospels, we find her at his feet. As far as I can tell, Mary is the only person in the Gospels who recognizes Jesus for who he is and what is going to happen to him. In Mark 14.8, the passage where Mary takes a very expensive alabaster flask of ointment and pours it over Jesus' head, Jesus says about her actions, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. I can't see Mary and Martha using the exact same words to rebuke Jesus. It seems out of character for Mary at least. But I can see them using the exact same words if they had earlier both agreed that Jesus would have healed Lazarus had he been there. But in the rhetorical sense, not saying it because they were disappointed with Jesus' travel delays. Now we come to verses 25 and 26. This is a, an astonishing statement Jesus makes to Martha. And I want to spend a couple of minutes examining it. I think we can be assured that Jesus, if Jesus had not delayed 
is coming by a couple of days, this conversation would have never taken place. For Martha to receive these words, her soul had to be prepared to receive them. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? First, I want us to notice that this is one of the seven I am statements Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Six other times he says, he uses the same terminology. He says, I'm the bread. I'm the way, the truth, the life. I'm the good shepherd, and so on. To a Jew in Jesus' time, they would immediately recognize what Jesus is implying. He is the same one that spoke to Moses from the burning bush 1,400 years earlier in Exodus chapter 3. We don't need to turn there, but if you remember, God has instructed Moses he's going to go to Egypt and talk to the Pharaoh to release the Jews from Egypt. And Moses asks God, he says, okay, suppose I go to the Israelites, and they ask me, and, and I tell them that, that, that God has instructed me with this, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What should I tell them? And from the burning bush, God tells Moses, he says, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. God says his name is I am. So when Jesus uses the I am, the Jews understand the background of the title. Martha would have understood. But there's two additional places where Jesus uses the I am statement. If there's any doubt to the meaning, once again, we don't need to turn there, but back in chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, Jesus is having a discussion with some Jewish officials, and Jesus seems to be giving the impression that he was actually present in the time of Abraham, 2,000 years earlier. The Jewish officials are dumbfounded, and they finally say to Jesus, you're not yet 50 years old, and yet you've seen Abraham? Jesus responds with this, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. And even if we don't pick up on the significance of that statement, the Jews do, they pick up stones to stone him for blasphemy. And then finally, my favorite I am statement in the Gospel of John. This is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane chapter 18, toward the end. It says this, when Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, this is when the, uh, the chief priests, the Pharisees, and soldiers and officers are coming with uh, lanterns and weapons. Jesus comes forward and says to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says to, him, says to them, I am he. When Jesus said this to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. As these guys were laying on the ground, you would think this would be a good time to take a moment to reflect. 
and ask yourself, who's really in charge here? There's a lot that can be said about verses 25 and 26 in chapter 11. But my point is this. If Jesus would have, if he, if he would not have delayed answering their prayers, I don't think the conversation in verses 25 and 26 could have ever taken place. Here's a question we have to consider concerning prayer. A prayer request was introduced at the beginning of the chapter. It was for healing a man who was ill. And Jesus, in effect, says, oh, but I'm going to do so much more than you can possibly imagine with this straightforward prayer request for healing. Let me ask you this. What if the sisters hadn't made the prayer request at all? How much of the Lazarus story would we have? And I don't mean to imply that that uh, Jesus can't act outside of prayers because we just have to go back to chapter 9 to see the man who was born blind, to see him healed, and no one requested him to be healed. So God can certainly act outside of prayer. But I don't want to ignore in James chapter 4 where James says, you do not have because you do not ask. And throughout the New Testament, there's instructions to pray. I just can't imagine that when it's all over and we're in heaven and, and Jesus is there and he, he would say something to us like, you know, your prayers really didn't mean all that much. I was going to do all that stuff anyways. I believe some things go undone for a lack of prayer. Let me close with a familiar story. There was a Jewish married couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. Like any good couple from biblical times, they wanted to have children. They needed to have children. For years, even decades, they prayed earnestly to have a child. And according to God's word, they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But no children, no answered prayer request. But behind the scenes, the prayer request was in the heavenly queue. The solution for Zachariah and Elizabeth was, like compounding interest on a bank account, growing and multiplying year after year, silently. No doubt as Elizabeth passed the age for bearing children, the prayers ceased in resignation to the obvious fact before them that they would never have a child. But the interest continued to compound. And finally, when all hope was long lost, God answered their decades-old prayer request and gave them a child, but not just any child. As Jesus describes him, this child became the greatest man of the Old Testament era, greater than Abraham, Moses, and Daniel, and all the others. He's the one who fulfilled the prophecies. The child became John the Baptist. If we considered Elizabeth's 
and Zechariah's situation through the lens of John 11:5 and 6, it might look something like this. Now Jesus loved Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, so when he heard Elizabeth was unable to have children, he delayed answering their prayer for several years beyond her childbearing years so that God would be glorified. What prayer requests do we have waiting in the heavenly queue to be answered? Are there some that seem like not only is Jesus not answering them, but it seems like he is intentionally waiting and allowing the situation to grow more impossible? Go back to chapter 11. We should memorize verse 5 and the first word of verse 6. Look at verse 11. Look at chapter 11, 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, we should replace their names with your name. And then let Jesus fill in the rest of verse 6 following the so. The answer might turn out to be greater than we would ever dare to pray. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for not answering our prayers as we see fit, but instead answering them from your perspective on the heavenly throne. Help us to be patient and increase our faith in your providence. Amen.